The Koigig Pod. On off the ball. When we first started the podcast, I was traumatized, and then things have gotten a little bit better since then. So, um, yeah, we'll go one more year with the peace. Subscribe to the Koigig Pod on the Off the Ball app now. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship. You are very welcome along. It is the second episode of season three of The Hurling Pod. Two episodes in, we've had to change the format ever so slightly because if you're listening last week, Paul Murphy's away. He's currently skiing somewhere in Austria, we believe, uh, making sure he doesn't get injured ahead of the new season. But it means that James Gale and I are here with you. We're going to take a look back on what was an absorbing All-Ireland Club hurling final, uh, full of drama, twists and turns, eventually ending with St. Thomas's, picking up the Tommy Moore at Croke Park for the second time and their first success since 2013. We'll take a look at all the rest of the hurling news. We're not going to have a conclusion now to the Munster Hurling League. Uh, just before recording, we found out from Munster Council there just won't be space in the calendar uh, for the two matches to be completed out Cork against Limerick and the final between Waterford and the winners of that game we do know we're going to have a Walsh Cup final this coming Sunday afternoon it's going to be in Carlow which will be Galway against Wexford if you're listening to us on Monday or listen to us this is your free pod which you can pick up every week uh, free of charge we're going to give you the next 35 minutes or so and if you want a more in-depth conversation where we're going to look at a few other topics along the way join us from Thursday morning if you're an audio listener or if you're want to pick it up on video on Thursday afternoon uh, which will be the pod for OTB members all the information if you want to become a member and pick up all of Off The Ball's content it is available offtheball.com forward slash join James Gell how are you? I'm very well Will I feel a small bit abandoned by Paul I think we both do but in typical public service fashion they take a holiday every six weeks so what can we do? <laughs> well, he said he burned most of his holidays in the t- in the first half of last year. Uh, so let's see if maybe he can push back some of his holidays and stay with us most weeks. So unable to join us. To be fair to him, when he was on his, I think, 15th honeymoon last year, he brought the iPad to Africa on safari with him and did a show. And I kind of felt a little bit bad for him for doing that. So he's maybe earned this one week break. Don't feel sorry for him. I was mocking him saying he's one wife in 15 honeymoons. <laughs> Like who, who else does that? You know, we're lucky to get one honeymoon at all. Oh, well, but Paul, you, uh, it might have been fifteen, but it was definitely at least four honeymoons that he took. First one was delayed by COVID, so he made the most of it in terms of holidays. So um, you're surviving, batting down the hatches with the storm at the moment in Galway as well, Skelly. Yeah. So look, come here. If I'm coming and going a small bit, please forgive me because the Wi-Fi in Capitagal is questionable in the month of June. So add in an old storm there <laughs> and matters may get a bit worse so we'll, but we'll, we'll plough on and see how things go well look make any joke you want about brewing up a storm at Crow Park I mean what a All-Ireland final we had I'll play a clip of the last minute of drama as called by Galway Bay now in a second but just in a general sense there was something a little bit old school about the fact that it was 18 points to 17 there were mistakes because of the weather because of the wind there was hooking there was blocking there was physical play out there it wasn't the score fest that maybe we've seen in the last few seasons uh, but as good a final as you could hope to see, really. Yeah, I, I think what everyone wanted was just was a general, you know, toe-to-toe battle. Like, I, for me, I, when systems get involved in hurling, and sometimes even the media or ourselves or people or, you know, uh, spectators get more bogged down about the, the systems that are involved as opposed to the actual spectacle. But Thomas's and Lachlan's just, they just went toe-to-toe. That's what they did. And despite the weather, which obviously watching from a television perspective, you, get, you think the weather is better than it is. But when, when the close-ups began... You could see that it was torrential rain, horrible wind. So to produce the spectacle they did, it actually probably added to it. The weather probably added to the spectacle because it created more drama. Um, you, you didn't appreciate some of the outrageous skill like Aina Burke. Everyone will rightfully talk about that last point he got, which is 
which is the second best score I've ever seen in Crow Park. Um, but even the point he got before that, where he swiveled, sw- swiveled anti-clockwise and over the shoulder, like people won't talk about that one. But that one itself was 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 ridiculous because even the passage of play where there was a, there was loads of tackles, but David came in just prior to Ian and taking that shot. Uh, and pummel some lad. Uh, I think a Lachlan Gales midfielder from pummeled it in against the ball, swivels over the bar. You know, it was just awesome. And like the game wasn't without a drama. Obviously, we covered this, uh, and I, I, I had said last week that I just, I just hope the two teams go at it, and we don't have any any deciding factors from from external factors. But in typical fashion, we're going to have to talk about the officials. We are. <laughs> so here we are. Here we are. <laughs> we've got we've got red cards that weren't given to be discussed. We've the red card that was given to be discussed. We've got a player getting pushed almost into Hill 16 and no action taken. We've had yeah. a goal scored at the Hill 16 end, which wasn't given. And we'll hear from Finton Burke in a moment about the fact that he knew he'd carried the ball over the line himself and he knew he yeah. kind of got away with one slightly there. The umpire's position in it. Uh, they left us with plenty of talking points uh, coming out of the game. The Ada Burke one is interesting because I'm going to play the audio of his score now in a second. But before we do, you raised the point that he had scored a wonderful point kind of over his shoulder that he just snapped over the bar just a few moments before that. Mm-hmm. And he actually said after the game, because I was listening to him on Galway Bay, he said that effectively that gave him the confidence to go for the one on the sideline. Because realistically, you're talking about percentage plays when the ball is up in that area, 64th minute of the game in the melting pot. You're probably thinking retain possession and try and work it back for another score. But he somehow juggles the ball into his hand. And despite the fact that there's three defenders converging around him, it's the most perfect first time shot where he had to be shooting blind as well. And like everything worked, as you said, you used the word there, perfect. And you took the word completely out of my mouth. Everything worked perfectly. Um, First of all, to get the ball in his hand under such duress that he was with people around him, on the sideline, turns, strikes off the left, which is which is his weaker side, and then she curls in lovely. Like I was just thinking in real time, uh, I was I was excited for them. I was thinking in real time after, if Ana, if I gave him the ball and I said, right, Ana, there's nobody here around you, put the ball over the bar from there, it'd be hard enough to do that. <laughs> it'd be hard enough to do it from that angle in that weather, you know, with with the with the, the pressure of someone asking you to do it. But then you introduce all the factors of. Lads everywhere, game on the line, time is up. You know, weather is horrendous, off your weak side, like shooting from the 21. Like, it was just, it was awesome. And the fact, the fact of the matter is, like, if you know Aina Burke, uh, he's, I, I would call, a shoot on sight merchant. You never associate him with getting in rook ball or, or fielding very high ball or being a puck out target. No, his forte is getting that kind of ball out in the fringes of the rooks, being kind of an out ball for, for the lads who go in and win normally his brother Dara or David who go in and get the ball give it to him and then he comes up with the goods and like come here utilise your, utilise your players I, I remember asking Brian Henley if you remember he played for Atten Rye back in the 90s yeah. on 20 manager last year I said how are we so good back then and, he, and the answer he gave me back then was just that we, were, we all knew our roles perf- perfectly we all stayed within our roles so, there, so he wasn't taking on the shots that Eugene Clunan would take on and Eugene Clunan wasn't doing the work that Brian Henley was doing so it just kind of reminds me of Aina Burke. You won't, you won't, as I said, you, you won't see him in the rooks, but you'll see him shooting. So put your put your best shooters in the best in position to take the shots, and that's exactly what happened. So kudos to him. But I was laughing. We're going through the you know the the incidents after the game, trying to pick out the, the, the big moments. And obviously he got the other cards uh, for you know trying to de- deter we call Mikey Butler's run in the first half. He could well have got a second yellow early in the second half, and that's it's a different story. This is the thing. If that if that yellow wasn't given to Aina at, in the first half, and he commits the same foul like he did in the second half, that's yellow card. You know, that's a slap. And like we associate that with yellow card all the time. And the thing is, if he got yellow card for the slap as his first yellow card, there would be no complaints, I'd imagine, from anybody in the Thomas's bench or, or, or camp. But it, it feels to me that Sean Stack just took the game in his own hands. That you know what? he was he was 
putting context on the game when, when, where a ref shouldn't be, in, in my view. So, like, there was look, there was luck on both sides, if you ask me, and misfortune. Like, but the trouble is, the misfortune was outweighed heavily uh, against O'Loughlin's, I'm afraid. Mm, right. We'll hear Sean Walsh and uh, Cyril Farrell calling the winning score and the free that went just wide from Mark Bergen down a sec. But you mentioned there it was the second best score you'd ever seen. Joe Canning, I'm assuming, is first, is it? The Swivel goal against Kilkenny in the final. Well, I was thinking maybe it was the one against Tipperary when we were thinking no, of context I, of the last gas. But yeah, no, con- context, you're dead right. Um, that, that was a super score, but that was a static strike on, on, under the Cusack. Um, but I'm thinking of the one where, if you remember, Andy Smith hitting the ball and Joe had to kind of he had to swivel in a yeah. 360, catch the ball, catch the ball, and the same in the same motion put a pass on Murphy. That for me was the best score I've ever seen in Crow Park. I'm sure the listeners will put in plenty more types. I remember there was a score. Um, I can't remember who, who got it for Wexford back in the early 2000s with a double. It was brilliant. Like, I can't remember. But, um, for me, Canning was number one and and uh, Anus has now put himself in position for number two. Yeah. I mean, oh, the, the Canning goal against Kilkenny is remarkable because you say he does it in one kind of fluid movement. So he obviously mm-hmm. has spotted the position where he wants to be in when the ball comes through. So we played it to him last year at the, the live show. It yeah. comes over his shoulder and he knows exactly his technique once it comes over his shoulder as well. Oftentimes a player would maybe be checking or maybe trying to switch back onto the other side. It was like Canning knew when that ball was in the breadbasket into his hand exactly what he was going to do with it. And almost impossible to defend if a player can swivel and shoot with such accuracy as well. Well, like, I, th- I think what he, what he was as well, well, all good points, but I think what he was, was, was he was devoid of options. So the way he, had, in, in order to, to catch the ball in air, you know, for, for to, from, I'm saying from physically to see it, he had to swivel. And as he was swiveling, I think he nearly kind of half lost his footing or lost his balance. So he had no option but to, to fall and strike in the singular motion. That, that makes the, de- the degree of difficulty extremely, extremely hard. Uh, and then when you, when you add in the, the other factors of the opposition, the goalkeeper you're going against, you know, and and, uh, and just the general, I suppose, execution as a whole, it was, it was top drawer, really and truly, so, you know. So basically what you're saying is if he had blazed that into Hill 16 and mishit it, you wouldn't have exactly blamed him for that happening? Uh, well, come here, if you pick if you pick 100 hullers across the country and ask them to do it, I'd say 99 can't. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> so, like, it's, it's a very specific skill to be executed by a very specific level of hurler. So yeah, I, but- I, think, I think it's not even a handful that can do it, to be honest with you. Well, like at full time yesterday, I was kind of sticking down ones that I had thought of that were just like remarkable. I was thinking more in terms of winners or decisive scores because it wasn't it wasn't the last puck of the game because obviously we had the free that happened less than a minute later and that had its own drama to the game as well. But I was thinking of Canning in the semi final against Tipperary, just that kind of clutch moment where you know it's going to be that one chance you might not get another one and he sticks yeah. it over. Harry Ruddle came to mind as well, the All Ireland final from a couple of years ago where it looks like. Hale Shamrocks are about to go through and be crowned champions and you've got this one shot at it and he puts it in the net it's the only way they could have won that game and he mm-hmm. produced the strike and I was thinking of Michael Jacob in the Leinster final for Wexford against Kilkenny as well where it didn't give Kilkenny enough time to actually react and come back afterwards so was I think Anna Burke's right up there all of them Was Michael Jacob's the one where he blocked down and stuck it in the net was it? Yeah and yeah, it was, was like it. literally last gasp Yeah yeah, I, I hate to be on the receiving end of those ones, but like I suppose what you're doing is, uh, is it can be done. You're, you're putting the context of the game and, and like maybe a momentous occasion, you know, in place mm-hmm. as well, which I suppose the score carries far more weight. Whereas I'm probably looking at it solely from an execution perspective and level of difficulty. Mm-hmm. And even that's why Aina Brooks, Aina Brooks is, is, is double sided. It's A, it's the last gas winner, and B, it's extremely difficult to, to execute. So 
Like when you put it that way, if should I, should I put it number one? Then <laughs> I, 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 that that's for you to rank. Um, I was I was trying to just write them down because I'd written down a few football ones while you're thinking about like Seamus Darby probably being the most famous of them. Because again, you take the aspect of a bit like the Ballyhill Shamrocks one against Ballygunner, where Kerry are on the cusp of history. And then the game is taken from them by this dramatic moment where somebody puts the ball into the net. And ironically, a lot of these scores seem to be coming on that Hill 16 side as opposed to down the other end. But um, here is Aina Burke's goal, uh, the commentary of it, because I just I really love the excitement around this. This is Galway Bay's commentary of St. Thomas's point, which put them in front, uh, but also them surviving, giving away a free, which looked like it was about to send it extra time it breaks can Thomas get a score Tony Fortune looks like he has it the man that really has it in his hand though is Damien Finnerty he's under pressure he's been forced out to the Hawkins inside the feet Aina Burke picks it up he's been put under pressure Aina Burke swivelling off the left Aina Burke into the 20 metre line what a score it's The ball hits the deck. David Burke was around there, but also there, oh, Sean Booker. His foul is going to be a free for Rockland Gales. We played the four minutes. 18 points for St. Thomas's. 17 points for Rockland Gales. There's pressure on. Pressure yeah. on Mark Bergen now. He's you? out a long ways. Definitely on the midfield, Mark. And he's out near the sideline. David Burke is trying to get him out further, but like, you know, this is going to come in around the house. He'll go for the score if he's able yeah. to get it. Now, there's a fair breeze against him. Yeah, Mark Bergen. And look at the shoe lauder has got into yeah. the pocket, lads. Is he going to go to him? But Mark Bergen, 16 years ago, he was playing the All-Ireland Club, the All-Ireland Post-Primary Schools final. He had a free equaliser for Kilkenny CBS against De La Salle. He missed it, hit the post at this very end of the field. Mark Bergen striking the free. It's on its way, it's gone to the left-hand side and wide. St. Thomas's are on the verge of All-Ireland Final. St. Thomas's are the champions. 18 points for the champions of Galway. 17 points for the champions of O'Loughlin Gales. St. Thomas's have got back to the Holy Grail. In 2013, they won the All-Ireland Club title. But in the year 2024, they have finally got their hands on the Tommy Moore Cup for the second time. Yeah, the commentary there coming from Sean Walsh and from Cyril Farrell on Goa Bay uh, yesterday afternoon. And like they brought up in the commentary there and Mark Bergner brought up himself ahead of the Leinster final when he said he was going back to Crow Park and he felt like maybe he'd left some of those ghosts behind him by scoring the winning score against uh, Nafina that day as well. But, you know, it's, it's a horrible way for a free taker you know, to have gone back. He was also booked into the canal end that day back in the post-primary schools final over a decade ago. Uh, for him to suppose have to face up to that again a very difficult free to have to take swirling wind difficult conditions yesterday and it was a long long way out like effectively on the halfway line oh it's extremely difficult and it's easy for us to say on, on, on the television like in terms of distance and angle they say this should be a uh, an easy enough one but it's not like you, you can imagine what it's like for his hands his body the grip of the hurl the slither everything is just you know it's, it's extremely hard because of the conditions obviously and then you add in you know the, the weight of the free and like, I don't think to be honest Will he would have thought back to that free back when he was in school he, he has mm-hmm. probably struck thousands and thousands of frees at this stage so I don't know where his mind going back to that I, I, I'm i 99.9% sure he would have been in the moment um, but look it's just it's terribly heartbreaking and look that's, that is the beauty and that's the cruelty of sport where we're we're praising Inna Burke for, for pulling off a wonder shot like obviously Mark Bergen will look at himself this morning and say if only I got that point but that wasn't the, the be all end all of the game to be honest and I think he know, he'll, he in time he'll know that himself and I'm sure the people of Lachlan Gales will 
will, you know, I won't say console him, but reassure him that so, so much more happened in, in the game that, yes, it came down to the free. And it's easy for the public to say that, that if that free went over, you know, you'd have a different outcome. But the fact of the matter is, Lachlan Gales as a whole in that second half, the whole team have to look at themselves, I think, to be honest. Because especially when James Ring gets sent off, to go and then get beaten, to lose a two-point lead and then get a man sent off. And then, you know... I have to say, capitulate will. They just didn't get enough from the forwards as a whole. As a whole, they didn't get enough from the forwards. Like I was just going through the statistics there, whereby obviously Thomas has scored 18 points. They got 13 from play, to, and that that's that's excellent shoot, shoot, great shooting. You could say from a play perspective, 17 points were came from Lachlan's, and you say 14 came from play. Not so bad, you'd say, but eight of those came from their backs. Do you know, eight of those came from, from people who were playing from one to seven and that just kind of signifies they won't get enough return from their forwards whereas Thomas's were. Even the shots that Thomas's took, they had ten wides which were ten from play whereas the Lachlan's had seven wides and only three from play, you know. So it, it just, it, it, it screamed to me that, that maybe they, they, were, they were lacking just one person. Maybe lacking the, I would say the Aina Burke type person who can shoot on sight because they have, they obviously have, you know, Mark Bergen and they have... Um, the big number, the big number twelve, as I was calling, was it Neary? Um, Heary, should I say? Yeah, Heary's here's been very good. I think he's got a good chance of very good. Uh, playing for Kenny this year. He's been very good. Yeah, impactful, effective, can mix it, can survive in there, like as 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 we've seen. But they just didn't have the finishers, you know. Whereas Thomas has had Connor, they had James Regan for a period. Obviously, they had Ana Burke, you know. And then you add in kind of the workhorses, you could say, with with, with the Darrows and these Darrows and these people, and then complimented by David. So it just seemed like the Thomases had a better balance. And I think when we were talking last week uh, online, we were, we were saying it'll come down to the Thomases forwards versus the, versus the, the you know, the, the excellent Lachlan Gales backs. And to be fair, the Thomases forwards, you know, even with a man down, even with only five guys in their forward line, they t- completely turned over Lachlan's. They didn't allow them any platform to, to come out with the ball. And there's numerous occasions I can pick whereby a ball goes into the hillside in one of the corners and there's just relentless pressure from Thomas's. Every time a Lachlan's get the ball, there's two or three. And that's what they're renowned for, for in Galway specifically, is that they're in a terribly hard, terribly, terribly hard nut to crack. Um, they, like you, you couldn't say that they're the most unbelievable, skillful set of forwards that they'd, they'd light you. They just, on days they can, but they're, they're an exceptional unit whereby it's very hard to come out with the ball. It's very hard to win their puck out. You know, it's very hard to run through them. And then when they run at you, it's very hard to stop them. So they seem to have an awful lot of facets to their game that if you can block off one, they come up with another. And like, if we, when we play them, it's a question of matchups. Like, okay, if we take care of Connor and Aina, well, then up, up pops David and James Regan. Another day, you take care of James Regan and David, and then Connor and Aina pop up. It's, it's very hard to match them all, <laughs> obviously. And that's what people are doing with, with Bally Hale over the years. You know, it's very hard to match up against the whole lot of them. Whether it be you know Owen Cody, T.G. Reid, Colin Finley, etc., AJ Mullen. So, but yesterday I think was probably their finest hour ever, their best performance in in thirty minutes of hurling in the second half when when everything was against them, and they they came up through it. That that's that's definitely the, I suppose I, I'd say best performance, but I definitely the most workmanlike and the most satisfying, and to do it on the biggest day, you know, complimentary kudos to them. Yeah, and I, I think a switch they made probably helped quite a bit as well, which was pushing Conor Cooney in closer to goal in the second half because they tried to use pace against Hugh Lawler in the first half and maybe there would have been a temptation to stick with that because Hugh Lawler was on a yellow card and you're thinking when you're playing with the wind maybe you try and get him running around drag him into awkward places but bringing in Conor Cooney to go up against him and to occupy him actually worked very well in the second half especially when you consider St Thomas has yeah. spent most of that half hour having to deal with a man short 
Yeah, like in, so in the first half, they said there were six balls that went in contested with Hugh Lawler and Oshin Flannery, Victor Manzo, and Hugh Lawler blocked down, made five blocks in the first half. So because he's so pacey and rangy, you know, for a big man, it's, it's very surprising how fast he is that the smaller guys that Thomas have, they try to exploit him in space. They couldn't get around him. So that means that they negate you. That means you automatically negated your, your ball to space and you negated your high ball because Lawler's obviously going to win the high ball. So they changed tactic, obviously. And then they put in Conor Cooney and that way then they could go more route one. So Conor Cooney is very, very good at lateral runs. So you would never have a case whereby Hugh Lawler would be in front of Conor because Conor's so good at moving. He'll always be there on first arrival. But then you'll have a situation whereby you can lump the ball to a degree, you know, down on top of Conor as well because everyone knows he can contest high ball there. So that little change can have a monumental shift on the game. That's exactly like that, that's just one nugget of it, okay? And then you have to say that Shane Cooney came into the forward in the second half, centre back, who was excellent. David Burke was tremendous. Like he hit everything that moved, ball and men. So he was he was fabulous. And in what I was saying before uh, last week in the Bally Gunner game, like he was like the director general, whereby he was telling everyone to go. And again, it was evident yesterday. Now it wasn't at the game yesterday, but you could see in the television, he was still, you know, liaising with everyone in his half back line, half forward, etc., and keeping keeping things organized and showing the road. Even in the face of adversity, when they got a man sent off, wrongly sent off, in my view, we'll cover that in a moment. But they just seem to gel perfectly. And, you know, there's probably, it's hard to describe this, Will, but probably in game, whereby, yes, James Regan gets sent off and you're sent yourself right, this is going to be game over. It's kind of, let's knuckle down, go at it hard and see what happens. And they just clawed their way back into the game. And the minute they drew level and then, then came a point in front, you could see that they rose and they said, this can actually be done. So once once that little bit of belief got, got restored back into them, because sure, I, I would say surely it got taken away from them when the red car was flashed, but once it got restored, it was just a case of we're in the fight. And if you get involved in a fight with Thomas's, you know, you're not going to win. I'm afraid to say that. There's oh, numerous clubs in Galway that have, have tried that in Galway. It doesn't work. Yeah, well, I think Bally Gunner saw that uh, back in Port Leash in December in the semi-final as well. Like, they're a very hard team to go up against physically. When they impose their game on you, they're oh. incredibly effective at doing that. Yeah, they're hugely effective, Will. And the, th- and the thing about it is, like, that you'd look at them and say you're not blessed with blistering pace or blistering energy. They don't need it because they're systematically so good that they, they draw you into a good fight. And if you want... And like, as I said to you, it's very hard to get through them. So it's hard to run through them. So you have to kind of go around them. And when they get the ball in, they go through you. <laughs> it's that, that simple. And like, but they're, and it's easy to say that you look at Finchon and Shane Cooney and Dave Burke and Connor. you look at the bigger guys, um, but they're, these lads are well able to hurl. Like, I, I think Finchon could play on, you know, five lines of the field. So could David. Dara Burke has proven that in the past. You know, as as Ina Burke has played in, you know, half back line midfield, half forward line. So they're quite a balanced team in terms of their skill set, whereby they can operate universally, if you know what I mean. Mm. And they're not they're not pigeonholed into a corner forward roles. Obviously, people have their roles in that team. Same with the backs, but they just they have this supreme balance that they can turn into a dogfight. And Ballygunner, I think, hadn't I suppose come up against that in in a, in a good while. Everyone tried to take them on an open game to go around them, but Thomas is wanted to go through them and when they pull them down I don't, I don't mean to disrespectfully say to a level but you, when you pull them into kind of a dogfight in arm wrestle that suits Thomas down to the ground lovely so mm-hmm. if you get into an arm wrestle they'll arm wrestle you out of it and as I said to you before they've won eight, eight country titles in I'm going to say it's 11 2012. years yeah. yeah so 11 years like so they've won eight out of 11 and a lot how many battles have they gone through with the nucleus of this team being the same team for eight for 11 years how many battles have they gone through in arm wrestle loads so if you get involved with an arm wrestle with them not going to happen. And if O'Loughlin Gales, again, it's it's ifs and buts, um, but I have to point to their forward unit and say they just didn't get enough out of them and they'll rule that. 
yeah because we were kind of messing away in whatsapp while the game was on and you were saying like how many of the halfbacks were on the scoreboard in the first half all three of them had scored and it was like Paddy Deegan was getting exactly what he wanted he was getting on front football with the wind and he was getting that bit of space and he was happy to keep going forward and getting scores himself or setting up scores for others St Thomas has probably did a better job of keeping a handle on them in the second half but of course the other side of the story is you can't be relying on your backs coming up to get those scores because they will dry up particularly against the wind Hugely, hugely. Uh, and the thing is, I suppose Lachlan's did very well. I was impressed from the first half because they managed to avoid the contact mostly with Thomas's. So avoid physical contact, avoid rooks, you know, avoid having to get in uh, uh, situations where it's like four on four in close proximity. And they were able to shift the ball across the field, open the, open the field and shoot from long range. That was really good, really impressive. But when the conditions go against you, you know, you can't do that. You can't shoot from 70 yards in Pro Park you know, with the, with the breeze and wind in your face because it's just simply, it's just it's too much of a difficulty with distance, etc. So that kind of facets your game, that element of your game gets negated. Now you have to move the ball further and depend on people further up the pitch. So your half-back line can't go off up past your midfield into your half-forward line and do the scoring for you. You have to shift the ball up quick because you're, run, you're running into numbers if you start running the ball from the back uh, in that type of game. So that's what like that's what happened. Numerous balls are into the Lachlan's forwards. And they just couldn't come out of them. The retention rate in the second half was very poor. I thought, I say, when the balls went into the 13, 14, 15, they couldn't hold the ball. They couldn't recycle it. And then some of their shooting choices, I'd have to say, static shooting, which they'll be discussed to it, um, again, just it didn't didn't come off of them. So if you if you look at the statistics throughout the whole championship, in the Kikini Championship, their half-back line have, has been their launch pad, their main platform for, 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 for scores, their highest scoring line, you could say. And so when the conditions come in play, Mix it with the dogs that's in St. Thomas's, you know, and that line gets negated for a period. It turned the whole game. And it, look, look, at the, look at the influence that Conor Cooney and Dara Burke have, you know, physically, that they can, those two guys could, you know, basically take on three, if not four, Lachlan Gales backs. So look at the job that them forwards did and provide opportunities for the shooters then versus the Lachlan's forwards. Big difference. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things where you look back, you wonder if some of the warning signs were there at different stages during the championship as well, because... I saw them in the Leinster semi-final against Kilcormac Kalahi and a bit like that they were hugely on the ball in the first half of that game left nine or ten scorers behind them and you're wondering is this going to leave the door open for the opposition to come back in and on that day Kilcormac Kalahi did reduce the score back and then there was a bit of a finishing flurry uh, from O'Loughlin Gales but still the game was down to three points with a few minutes to go and you're wondering how a team that did so much hurling in the first half could have ever ended up in trouble during the game but the reality was that they weren't able to push on I think that again that was a big issue on Sunday afternoon at Crow Park which was got themselves into an okay position at halftime you're thinking once you've got that extra man momentum as well there should really only be one winner from that point but actually it was St Thomas's who did a tremendous amount of the hurling a man short in the second half so um, that's what yeah. happens in, for a lock and gales if you leave a team in it in those circumstances the red card itself you've already kind of hinted your feeling on it where you said you don't think it was a fair red card so James Regan comes in I think the contact, it's fair to say, is pretty minimal. But I could probably understand on the first replay why the officials thought that maybe the hit was a bit higher and harder than it was. But when you see it on the replay, this looks like a very harsh red card, doesn't it? Yeah, look, from playing the game, right, which is very, which is very important to note that now, when you're playing the game, you know the degree of impact you actually absorb. Okay, now, so I have to explain myself here. When I saw it real time, I said, get up, get up, I said. You know, because I saw the, the the amount of impact that happened, right? And I, I knew well that 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 
I can't remember the guy's name who, who went down, but was that because the arms had gone up and the fact that he kind of thrown himself forward after the contact? Yeah, so Is that what you're thinking? Uh, yeah, because look, I don't know how, how else to describe it. Will he flopped? You know what I mean? And it was theatrics. That's just being honest, right? Uh, and if if he got a full elbow on the head, his body goes down way more, and you can see you, you'll see you know, the level of force that he that, that he he absorbs is is at a much different level than what he actually absorbed. So I think he kind of. I, I have to say he sold the referee a bit, Will. He sold the referee. And Sean Stack, let's say, he, he bought it. You know, he bought it. He, your man tried to sell it and, and Sean Stack bought it. And I thought in real time, looking at it, there's no way he'll give him a red card for this. If you go by the letter of the law, right, which people will argue, oh, it's a red card. Fine, if that's a red card, there should be red cards all over the place. There should have been red cards all over the place if you go by the letter of the law. Technically speaking, there was a headbutt. Technically speaking, there was a strike in action with the hurl. Technically yeah. speaking, there was a fronting challenge to the head. So when you start now, going through all these, would you have given red know? cards for any of them? Because it's kind of there's a butting of helmets no. there. There's you know it's obviously a push of a hurl, which you probably see a hundred times during a game. To me, none of them really yeah. look like red card offences, but they probably would be if you were handing them out, maybe harshly. Say, yeah, I, and I, I understand what, you, what people will say. They'll, they'll go to the rule book and they'll say this is a this is a red card offence. I hear you, but you have to understand when you come from a position of playing the game, there's a level of force or a level of injury you put on your opponent whereby that's either dangerous. You know, really, really dangerous or potentially very dangerous. So the the headbutt I put in, I put in, you know, kind of for the comments, right? Mm. There was no force in that. It was just kind of a little dunt, like like a nod, you could say. There's no force in it. The striking from Ana, no force. The shoulder to the to the, the chest that Connor Connor Cooney took, yes, that was a hard force. But again, I don't think he got physically really hurt to warrant red card. So the same thing applies with James Regan. Like when he comes in for the challenge, it's a missed time, yes. And when you slow everything down on replay, which we had the benefit of, referee didn't have it, it looks worse from one angle, but then goes to the other angle, it looks fine. Do you know? Yeah. So well, J- Jack Nolan is the midfielder. Jack Nolan's the midfielder for Lachlan Gales is coming through, and not like I think he feels a bit of contact. But I think when you when you rewatch it, or as you said there, I think it is a very dramatic fall for the amount of contact that Nolan has taken. And I I, I truly believe if you asked him himself. You know, did you take much contact? You know, he will tell you no. He'll tell you no. Mm. I think the way his momentum was going, that his body was going that direction anyway, and once he got clipped, he just took the legs from under himself and away he goes. So I think, as I said, yeah, I think Sean Stack is sold. Okay. So that's one that seems to have gone against St. Thomas's. One that definitely went against the Lachlan Gales was the goal that wasn't given, which has obviously sparked all the debate. And pretty much every question that we got in on the Instagram was about, should there be goal line technology? Should there be VAR? Surely this shouldn't happen. Well, to talk about the incident first, obviously this is eight minutes into the game. The ball finds its way to Owen Wall after an initial shot is blocked down. Finton Burke is going back onto the line in order to try and make the block. He does so successfully, but he carries the ball back in alongside his tie, I would say a few feet over the line. The one that I didn't understand was <laughs> why the umpire on the near side ended up going behind the goal as opposed to staying where he was. Because then you would have saw it clearly. But sure, it's obvious, it's obvious the day is long when he did it. He was afraid of getting hit. <laughs> but you got to you stay know, there. I, I've seen for years. But see... Okay, we're going back to the umpire discussion here. We had this discussion last year, Will, and I got yeah. a bit of flack over it, right? But the officials are there to do a job. And nine times out of ten, referees pick officials that they are friends. That's fine. Because it's hard, our umpires are their friends because they're hard to get. Basically, from even from a calendar perspective and, and you know trying to sequence it with them, you know, for time off, etc. I get all that, right? And a referee likes to keep the same four umpires in a general basis, you know, for mm. continuity. I, I understand that. But their position is horrendous. It's the worst position you can take up. You may as well have been standing in the Hill 16. 
you know, adjudicating as opposed to where the position is. One guy has got to be level on the line, has to be, and it's always the far side. Whoever's on the far side should be, uh, or what I mean by far side, the, the side that Owen Wall is on, right? That's the side yeah. that should be on the line. So you know, should be the umpire on the other post. The side, yeah. yes, whatever direction the ball is coming from in a straight line, that's who should be behind the goal. You know what I mean? So he can get clear sight of both posts because the guy who's at the front post can't get clear sight. The guy at the back side can get clear sight. So, but both of them, if you watch the, watch the body language of both umpires, they're jumping, jumping because they're nearly kind of half afraid to keep with the ball. So it was just, it was, it was, it was very, very bad. But even that, I tried to put myself in their position. If, I, if I'm behind the goal in, the, in their position and I see Finch and carry the ball over in the manner he did, sure, it's obvious it's a goal. <laughs> the goal, the ball was over at least a foot and a half. Yeah. You know, and look, Finch will be coy enough about it, and rightly, rightly so, because he's gone home at the middle now at this stage. But it was a goal, and as I was saying to you, remember last week we were saying, I hope there's no incidents where there, whereby we start focusing on that as opposed to the game, because ultimately it was a great game, and here we are talking about officials and goals that were, that that should should have stood. Um, and when that goal went to, didn't go in or wasn't given, I was just praying that Thomas's if they're going to win, they'd win, win by four, four or five, <laughs> or if Lachlan's win, they win. Do you know what I mean? Fair enough, mm. right? Right. But no, it came down to a singular score. But look, at, it's 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 a contentious one. The conversation will start obviously around technology. If you start into technology, is there a need for umpires at all? That's the case. If we have Hawkeye for balls going over the bear, and we get some sort of you know chips in the balls for un- under the nets, umpires are gone. What's what's the use of them? Do you know, for determining sixty fives. Well, on Hawkeye, just because some people, and I know people have tweeted me yesterday going, well, how come Hawkeye can't decide if it's not over the line under the bar if they're able to make decisions on the trajectory of the ball if it's going over the bar or not? The reason why is it's not down to any kind of detection technology within the goalposts themselves or the slitter. The reason I actually found out about this initially was we were doing the old version of the hurling show back and off the ball back in 2019 when Brian Hogan was in goal for Tipperary and two points were given in an All-Ireland semi-final where Brian had stuck his hurl in his hand up over the bar because he's so tall he was able to get up there and block two shots they were both registered as scores by Hawkeye on the day and to this day Brian Hogan is convinced that he did not at any point allow the ball to go all the way over the crossbar but the way that it was determined so we were told by some of the Hawkeye officials that we spoke to is that they've got a series of cameras which are there to essentially map the line of where the ball is going but it's determining whether the ball is going over the bar and between the posts and the trajectory is set because you remember I think once one time they got it wrong where the football settings were on in a hurling game I think and they thought yeah. the ball had hit the post because it was the football settings it basically draws a line on Hawkeye like you would see projected for say a tennis shot or something like that so it's based on cameras as opposed to any kind of line detection what you would need if we were to say look at goals like that will be maybe if there's a microchip in the slitter and sure they were using the white slitters not the new uh, yellow smart slitters for the All-Ireland final yesterday anyway but you would need to probably have the microchip in the ball and then have some kind of goal technology a bit like the Premier League where they can decide if the full ball has gone over the bar so basically Hawkeye will not be able to do the job that some people were hoping that it would be able to do now apparently on the screens yeah. in the ground because like you I was watching it um, in work yesterday as opposed to being in Crow Park it was very clear after a couple of replays that TG Carr had shown that the ball had been carried over the line apparently they only showed one or two of those angles on the big screens in the ground even though I was sure on the 
on the match that you could actually hear on the TV covers that people were ooing and eyeing within the stadium as if they had seen it on the big screen. So some supporters have said it wasn't as clear as some of the ones that were on TG Car afterwards. But you mentioned uh, Finder Bergman Coy. He was speaking to Ashling O'Reilly on off the ball after the game. This is what he had to say when she asked him about whether he had carried the ball over the line or not. And I have to ask you about the the goal or, or not a goal in the first yeah. half. You fell into the goal. You had it in your hand. Was it over the line? I, I, to be honest with you, and I, I was saying it to the, the last interview there, I, I don't know. Um, I'd love to say no, but I don't know. I was kind of, I was back and back behind with the ball in my hand and I kind of fell in between my legs and I'd like to think it was on the line, but I suppose we'll have to let the TV, uh, TV lads look at that. <laughs> you're pretty happy that you didn't get caught. It's what you're saying. Yeah, very happy, yeah. <laughs> the words of a man who says at the end of that clip, you're happy you weren't caught. He knew full well he'd carry that ball over the line. Jesus, I know better vocal. No better vocal. It's laughable, really, when you, when you think about it. And I'm just, I was going to ask you a question as you were explaining the hawker situation there and how we're yeah. on the big screen. If the referee looks at that, Will, right? Because I, I don't know, has this, ever, has this ever happened before? And he looks at the big screen and he determines that ball's over the line. Can he call that? The only one that I can think of. Now, the referee is not. The ref isn't meant to be influenced by it. But the only one I can think of is. I remember the. Is what do you call him? A fourth official at this stage. You know the official who's at the side. I think it was a football game a couple of years ago, and the suspicion yeah. was that he had brought the referee's attention to something that he had seen on a big screen replay, and therefore said, "Look, actually, I've just seen it on the screen." I don't think, because you watch the rugby, and so many times in the Champions Cup over the weekend, it's all good for the games on Friday and Saturday, where literally, and even at the sports ground, the ref will just flip around and look at the big screen down on the side, and he'll make his decision based on that. I don't see any reason why, in theory at least, if this could be done, and I know there's different grounds and different rules because there won't be big screens elsewhere, but in the case of it's at Crow Park, I don't see why a referee's attention couldn't be brought to something on the screen for them to make the right call. Yeah, I agree with you. I don't see a reason why we wouldn't have a television on the side with the mm. fourth official or the standby referees, as I said, who can be assessing the screen as the game goes on. The trouble with hurling is the ball shifts uh, shifts ground and metrage so fast as opposed to rugby or soccer. So you cover, if you look at yesterday, when the ball was cleared, Thomas has been down and scored a point. Mm. That phase... It was, it that was, phase, it was that a four-point swing, yeah. Yeah, he didn't drop in a score for Thomas. So the, the reason I asked the question was, if Thomas has scored that point, can Sean Stack actually go back, remove the point from Thomas's and give the goal to Lachlan's. Is that the rule I book? I don't know. I don't, I don't think he can. And I'm happy enough to text one of our referee friends to find out in this one. But I do look back on the, the Derry against Galway game. Do you remember that one yeah. where there was a Hawkeye, um, yep. I don't know, it, missed, it basically broke down and they went and took a point away at half time as a result. So I well, don't know. No, I mean, they actually, uh, what happened was they gave it to Galway after half time. That's it, sorry. They changed the scoreboard after at halftime. Yeah. Well, after halftime, the chairman came out, the manager came out, and they put a, they put a point on the scoreboard because, like you said, the linesman uh, caught it in, in, in real view. So that's mm. where things, that's where officials come together, use their head, and make the make the correct conscious decision. Whereby I'd love to know, I, again, I say, I say it really, I don't know how Sean Stack, the, I hate to use the word, the power to go and take away a score off one team and give it to another team. That, that, that would have caused ruptures entirely. <laughs> it would. And that's the exact problem, as you said, because there's natural breaks in other games. Like in, in the rugby, when I'm thinking of the red cards yeah. that were handed at the weekend, at least there's a breakdown in play at that point. So the referee can say, yeah. OK, 
I'll come back for that penalty or I'll come back for whatever was going to flow from the decision and we'll adjust accordingly. But the ball is dead. In the case of hurling, if you're a goalkeeper, you're probably picking the ball out as quickly as you can. You're pucking it out and there could well be a score in two to three plays up the other end. We see it happen all the time. Long puck out, someone catches, stick it over the bar. I don't know if at that point they could be like VR in the Premier League where they could go, actually, I'm going to cancel that score and we're going to go back and take action on what we missed that we've just seen. So I don't know. Look, again, it's it's open for discussion. Yeah. And I mean, obviously people are now talking about it an awful lot more than they would have been pre-final. And as you say, it's a pity that it became one of the major talking points from what was such an entertaining game of hurling and such an entertaining club season. Like when you consider, well, Lachlan Gales were one point better than Ballyhill Shamrocks in the Kilkenny final. The two semi-finals were one-point games. The All-Ireland final was a one-point game. All of them could well have gone to extra time and penalties such as how close they were. So there's been very little difference between the very top teams in the country this year. I want to ask you a little bit about um, David Burke mm-hmm. as well. And a little bit later on, we'll maybe talk about some of the best players you've ever played alongside. But I would think that David is right up there. And, you know, it's nine months since his knee went. Really and truly, he should have been probably still going through the process of rehab now at the moment. And instead, he's an All-Ireland man of the match in an All-Ireland club final. That is ridiculous going, isn't it? Um, ridiculous is a, is, is a great word. Like unbelievable, like unbelievable. It gets thrown around too much, but it's it's scarcely believable that it's actually possible. You know, and I think David over the whole course of his career, like he he doesn't have this major highlight reel. You know, what he is though is a complete model of consistency on and off the pitch. Uh, you know, even verbally consistent, physically consistent in terms of his f- preparation. You know, mentally consistent in how strong he is the whole time, and all those facets come together, and they culminate in him getting back in, which, to be honest, is a much shorter period than you or I would have expected for him to come back in. Yeah. Uh, like, and he's he's a special type of teammate. Now, if I can elaborate on this now, like you said, you have leaders who who lead by playing, leaders who lead by you know, let's say talking, you know, presentations, actions, etc. Then you have the guy in the middle who was able to do both. And I'd say he's, he's, he's one of the few who's able to do both. So he backs up what he says. And he's a very, very good speaker, as you can tell from his interviews, with the way he plays. So like he is, he's been, more often than not, when St. Thomas's have been in, you know, in, in trouble in games. Like he, he, he's be the primary reason or the primary or the director general that they use. And, and he, he'll fix things on the pitch in real time, which is very hard to do. It's easy for you, right, to go look at a game, Will, and assess it, analyse it and go, oh, you went wrong here thereafter. But to do it in real time is extremely difficult because, yes, you're caught in the moment. If you're in the middle of a game, you're worried about your own fella. You're trying to mark him. You're trying to, you know, obviously assess what the opposition's throwing at you and then reassess your own team as to what you need to do to negate, you know, the opposition's strengths. So he has that kind of skill where he's able to, like, look at that in real time, assess it, and then communicate it to his, to his, his teammates. And as you can see, more often than not, it works. <laughs> it works out. And, like, yes, they probably have... They'll probably look back in time and they'll be obviously delighted with two club titles. They'll probably feel, his David said himself, that he didn't get, you know, that there was a lot of hurt over the last number of years. When you win as many county titles as you do, you'd have hoped to come away with a higher percentage of Ireland. But like what he's done over the, over his career, I'm not trying to sig- signal the end of it by any means, but like it's, it's special. And it, there's very, very few people, probably only a couple or a handful, who have got men of national Ireland and in both club and, and county. I presume a county man of yours has one, Brian Wheeler. Well, well, Brian Wynn's a ridiculous Beyond that, one. So, it's hard for me to know this. Yeah, Owen Rigney was asking me on Twitter last night about this because it felt like a very special achievement for David Burke to be man the match in All-Ireland Final for County and for Club. Brian Whelan's just one of those guys who kind of is just a statistical anomaly when it comes to most things, Gal. He's done four. 
two All-Ireland County Finals, 94 and 98. 94 was the year he was hurler of the year as well, didn't get an All-Star. So he mm-hmm. kind of broke the mould in that one as well and broke a door at the, All- <laughs> at the All-Stars and his frustration. But he did two in the one year. So in 98, he was the man of the match in the All-Ireland Club Final and then went on to be man of the match when he was sick in the final against Kilkenny, got pushed up into the forwards. So he did that one. And they did another club man of the match in 2002 as well. I think the feeling in the club would be he was probably unlucky not to get man the match in the 95 replay as well. So uh, four is not bad. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> that's, that's putting it lightly, Will, I think. Look, come here, if, if you or I go ahead and we get a man of the match in a club final, a club final, mm. any club final, right, or a in Ireland final, it's a great achievement. But to do it on multiple occasions and then do it in the same year, sure, it's unheard of. I, I don't know, has it, has it ever been done since? I doubt it. I don't I don't know. Yeah, again, listeners, I'm sure will uh, give us multiple people who've probably done this over the years. But I, ca- I can't imagine that the the achievement will be matched, particularly doing both in the one season. Um, but like again, he's just mm-hmm. a guy who was man the match in pretty much every game that he played along the way. So uh, by all means, if, especially if you're watching YouTube, stick them into the comments, and we'll ask Gail about some of the other best players that he's played alongside as well. So mm-hmm. I, I look again just on a final word on on Burke and what he brings to it. Like this is a guy who he said himself he wasn't overly happy with how he played in the semi final. You said the last day. Of he was kind of you know surviving out there as a guy who come back in having missed the summer and having just come back from rehab I thought he was excellent in the final on Sunday afternoon though like he was all over the place in that second half in a good way he wasn't running around like a headless chicken but it seemed whenever they needed someone to come in to get a hook or to get a block or to bring his physicality he was there for his team yeah but see and that's the thing I'm happy to see that because more often than not we can get you know, we can get distracted by big scores or by big plays and say when you're on the ball. But when you're off the ball, you know, the hook, the block, the shoulders, you know, the tracker runs, sometimes they don't get seen an awful lot. You know, and it's only when the GPS trackers actually came into play a few years ago, you actually learned with, with, with that, with the backup of data, how much ground David Burke was covering. And I remember Jamie Joyce telling me before in 17 that he was saying at the time during the game, you know, in that, in that period of the game itself with, with the way the model was played, if you were on the ball... Uh, I think it was 15 times in a game you were highly influential highly influential and the game against Tipperary in the semi-final with the, the same game you mentioned with Joe Kang's Wonderpoint he was on the ball 23 times you know as, a, as well as covering double figures in kilometres so that'll tell you the work ethic he has uh, uh, being able to you know work so hard on one side of the ball defensively and then work so hard on the ball and get, get on it and set up so like it's Oh, it's it's amazing to be honest, and like I, more times I can picture, I can just picture instances here whereby I can remember if you remember Shane Maloney point uh, that Canning David Burke was the one that shifted got it out of defence into Joe Joe hits the corner Shane Maloney scores. Then I can picture against Clare back in eighteen the two games we played David Burke was the out ball. Anytime I got a ball, first person you look up and see who's free, how he's free. I don't know. It was David Burke, and then he'd launch an attack. It's just. He's a great reader. And I think people in Galway would, would, would uh, associate Joe Cooney Sr. as being one of the best readers we've ever seen in terms of the game. Uh, but David Burke is, is up there. The way he's able to read the game and find, find himself in, in position all the time, you know, is, is exemplary. So I just think he's one of, like you said earlier on, he's one of Galway's finest ever hurlers. Yeah, and there he is now with an All-Ireland Club medal to go along with uh, being an All-Ireland winning captain at inter-county level as well. That's where we leave pod number one for this week. Uh, the Hurling Pod brought to you by Borgosh Energy. They are the proud sponsors of the All-Ireland Senior Hurling Championship as well. Skell, thanks a million for now. God bless. OTB's The Hurling Pod with Borgosh Energy. Proud sponsors of the Senior Hurling Championship.